0: The scripture for today's sermon is from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. The word of God speaks to us like this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I I feel like I was just led through worship and giving by the pastoral version of Inigo Montoya. It's very, it was powerful. It was good for my soul. I hope you catch the six-fingered man that killed your father. Uh, Hey, if (laughs) if we haven't met yet, my name's Josh Curry. I serve as the lead pastor of this frontline congregation in downtown OKC. And uh, I would encourage you, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and find Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to do some work together today around the ancient path of discipleship. And I'm going to take a second and pray for you and ask you to pray for me and then we're going to dive in. Father, I'm struck today by the truth of your word that tells us that life is short that it's a wisp of smoke that's here and gone, and that compared to eternity with you, 70 years, 80 years is a blink. And yet for us, you know that that's not how it feels. The journey feels really long and it feels really arduous. And I thank you today that our savior, our redeemer, our king and our brother didn't just walk that road before us, but he, rock, he walks that road with us. So I pray that this would be a moment where you and your love for your people would take your word that's living and active and true and that you would apply it to us, that you would deliver us from the roads that lead to death. That you would set our feet on the ancient paths, that we would walk on the narrow road that we would receive the help that you have for us on this journey, that you would feed us today, that you would clothe us today, that you would strengthen us. Would you give us faith for another step? For brothers and sisters that feel weary, that feel abandoned, I pray that this would be a moment where the truth of your presence, that they live before the face of God, that the Spirit of God is closer than their next breath, would invade the darkness and set their feet back on the rock of Christ. So meet us today, help us today, as we open up this text. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, knowing that you can do all of that and you're willing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So today we're starting a new series called Rhythms of Grace. And... There's no text that I would rather go to than Jeremiah 6.16 to try to unpack what we mean by that. Today's sermon is just two points. It's pretty simple. And we're going to take most of today unpacking the two big ideas in this text. The first big idea is that we're called by God to stand by the road and look. This is an invitation from our Father to pause This is an invitation and a command to step off of the roads that we're walking on, that we don't think about, that we're simply caught up into the frenetic motion of, and to step off of the road long enough to ask some really big questions about the roads that we're on. Questions like, what do we really want? Because the answer to that question sets the direction of our feet. It puts us on a pathway to ask the question, why are we on this road in the first place? How did we get here? What brought us to this road? And perhaps most importantly, to ask the question, where is this road taking us? Is this road going to the destination that I think it's going to? And is the destination that this road is gonna lead me towards worth staying on this road and experiencing? The book of Jeremiah is a prophetic unveiling of the bleak end of Israel's road trip down the roads of the nations around them. This is a moment in the history of God's people where they have abandoned the ancient paths of discipleship. They're no longer on the narrow road that Abraham walked and that Moses walked and that Joshua walked following the voice of their God. They're now leaving those paths through the wilderness, and they're now journeying on the superhighways of idolatry, just like the nations around them. They're journeying down a road that doesn't lead to flourishing. And this is a moment in the story of God's people where they're invited to reckon with the false promises of the roads of the nations, roads that promise security, and joy, and depth, and meaning, but roads that can't deliver any of that. Roads that turn us inward on ourselves and away from God. Roads that make really big promises, but roads that can't deliver. And to do this today, to understand these roads, we have to do some theological anthropology. We have to think about what people are and why we move in the directions that we move. Because human beings are travelers. We are not static beings. We are beings that move. We are people that are moving and becoming all the time. And what's fascinating about our moving and our becoming is that our movement and our formation for good, and our movement and our deformation for ill, are happening in this brief life to such a degree that we're always being shaped for all eternity. We're moving towards a destination bigger than retirement, bigger than vacation. And the reality of what it is to be a human being is that we are those strange people who God has blessed with his image, who have turned from his presence, and who are prone to wander down roads that don't lead to life. I want to quote a couple of times today from a book that I'll commend to you as we dive into this sermon series. It would be a helpful framework for you to think about spiritual formation. It's a book called You Are What You Love by a guy named James K. Smith. Let me read a brief passage to you. He writes, the implicit picture of being human is dynamic. To be a human is to be for something, directed towards something, oriented towards something. To be human is to be on the move, pushing something after something. We are like existential sharks. We have to move to live. We're not just static containers for ideas. We are dynamic creatures directed towards some end. In philosophy, we have a shorthand term for this. Something that is oriented towards an end or telos, a goal, is described as teleological. So here's what he's saying, and it's true, it's what St. Augustine understood, it's what the apostles understood, and that's that human beings are always moving. And the direction of our movement, the paths that we take, the roads that we get swept up on, are roads that we choose with our hearts more than our heads. They're roads that we choose with our hearts more than our heads, Sarah Williams is a historian who I love. She's a great thinker. And she's done some work around the shift of consumerism in the West. And her argument is that consumerism in past ages was simply one of the many vices. It was a bad habit that we would acquire and a bad habit we would try to break. And her argument is that we live in a moment today Where consumerism is no longer simply a vice, consumerism has become a philosophical underpinning that attempts to answer the question of ends. What are people for? And what's life about? And why are you on this planet? And what's the best way to spend your 70, 80 years here? And my argument is that nobody does a whiteboard session where we rationally unpack what it is to be a consumer. We weigh the cost and the risks, and then we decide to set our path on the road of consumerism. Nobody does that. We do what I often find myself doing. In moments of being sad, in moments of being lonely, in moments of being anxious, instead of turning to God to have those deep longings met in his presence, I go online. And I choose between two pathways to answer the ache. It'll either be Japanese denim or stuff for my bicycle. And when I find myself in that place, I'm not there because I've made theological decisions with my head. I'm there because I've made decisions rooted in desire with my heart. And the same is true for you and me. The same is true of all the roads that are all around us promising life. They're not roads that we choose with our heads as much as they're roads that we choose with our guts. He goes on to write this In You Are What You Love, to be human is to be on a quest, to live is to be embarked on a kind of unconscious journey towards a destination of your dreams. As Blaise Pascal put it in his famous wager, you have to wager. It's not up to you, you're already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for, the place we unconsciously strive towards is what ancient philosophers of habit called our telos, our goal or end. But the telos we live towards is not something that we primarily know or believe or think about. Rather, our telos is what we want, what we long for, what we crave. It's less of an idea that we have about ideas and more of a vision of the good life that we desire. It's a picture of flourishing that we can imagine in a visceral, Uh, um, often unarticulated way, a vague yet attractive sense of where you think true happiness is found. Track with me. There are a thousand highways all around you and in a digital age where you're constantly being invited to travel down roads thousands of times a day that people in past eons didn't have to reckon with in this moment, you are definitely on a road. And you're on a road that's being directed by the desires of your heart. Your longings for beauty, your longings for comfort, your longing for meaning, your longing to have someone answer the question, who am I and what am I here for? And in our culture and in all cultures of the world, the super highways that human beings travel down to try to get those desires answered are roads that are always about worship. The roads are all temples of worship. The road is where our heart points its longings for ultimate meaning, for security, for identity, for joy, for beauty, for hope. And our hearts move our feet down that highway. David Foster Wallace, to my knowledge, never became a Christian. He was a writer that took his life. But nonetheless, he understood a lot about human nature. He wrote at a graduation commencement these words, Because there's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing of worship, be it JC or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Okay, listen, this is a secular perspective that just echoes the truth of God's word. John Calvin summed it up by saying the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We try to answer questions that only our creator and redeemer can answer in the stuff that he created. And what happens is those roads become temples of worship and temples of worship become roads. And all around us, We uncritically go down roads without asking perhaps the most important question, where is this road taking me? Because all roads are not heading to the same place. Jesus said in the New Testament that there is such a thing as the wide road that leads to destruction. And that's a really powerful picture. That's a picture of a road that's easy to travel down, a road that's well-trafficked, a road that's paved and very smooth, a road that offers very little resistance, but a road that doesn't lead to the answer for those longings that set you on the road, but a road that tricks you, a road that eats you, a road that lies to you. There's roads all over the Bible, God called Jonah to walk down a road to Nineveh, and instead he walked down the road to Joppa. It didn't turn out the way he hoped. The prodigal son walked on the road away from his father, and he woke up in a pig pen, diminished and depleted, jealous over the trash that pigs were eating. There was a road that David walked into the valley of Elah to face Goliath and deliver Israel, but there's a A road that David also took up onto the roof of the palace to lust for Bathsheba, to abuse his power, to murder one of his friends, and to lose his family. All around us are roads, and all of those roads are about worship. They're all about desire, and they're all taking us somewhere. And God in his kindness, God in his love is inviting Israel, and he's inviting you and me to just stop traveling for a minute. To just... Pause for a minute to step off of the road and to look at the roads and to ask yourself questions about which roads are worth walking down. And God in his love commands his people, the people of Israel in the old covenant and us today to ask for the ancient paths. Look at the words again, verse 16. For thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. For the next two months, we're going to be looking at rhythms of grace. These are rhythms of formation or spiritual disciplines that help us do two things. Spiritual disciplines, rhythms of grace, these habits of formation help the people of God to step off the road and ask questions about the road. Is this the right road to walk down? Where am I being seduced by the roads around me? And these spiritual disciplines or rhythms of grace also give us gifts along the path of discipleship. They help us ask for the ancient path where the good way is. They help us walk in that path. They're places of encounter where we meet with God to be shaped and formed by him along the journey. So over the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to talk about scripture reading as a place of formation. Prayer and fasting, work and rest, generosity and the Lord's Day as ways that we can intentionally and proactively follow Jesus on the narrow road of discipleship. So let me give you a few things to think about that will help you for the next few weeks, I pray. First of all, I want you to see that God is the initiator and the prime actor in all of these rhythms. Look again in our verse, Jeremiah six sixteen. Thus says the Lord. This is so amazing. In both the content and origin of this verse, God is the one who acts first and God is the one who acts decisively And in all of these rhythms, God has moved in his son, Jesus, and is moving today through the spirit. A healthy view of spiritual disciplines is found in seeing these rhythms as gracious gifts that the Father has for us, rooted not in earning, but in receiving and in encountering. Hey, listen, we are invited to read God's word at his initiation. And he has spoken his word for our formation to reveal to us what we're like and what he's like and what he's done for us in Jesus. Prayer and fasting and gathering together for worship and all of these rhythms that help us walk the ancient path of discipleship as we follow Jesus on the narrow road are all there because God gave them to his people and God wants to meet his people in those places. It's not about us earning or achieving or climbing a rope ladder of good deeds to get to heaven. It's not about penance. It's not about getting God to be on our side. God has definitively moved for his people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And God wants to come alongside you in your journey of discipleship for however long you have on this planet to feed you and clothe you and shape you and meet you so that you can get to the end of your path in faith. God is the initiator and he's the mover. And these rhythms of grace are exciting and rich and good, not because we're earning gold stars as we practice them, but because God is a faithful father who loves to give good gifts to his children. In addition, these rhythms help us imitate. They help us imitate. Our text speaks of ancient paths, and ancient paths bring to mind travelers, people that have gone before us, ancient paths that have been walked by Abraham and by Moses and by Esther and Joshua paths that have been walked by the prophets and the apostles, paths that have been walked by those that have gone before us throughout the history of the church. And in a culture obsessed with authenticity, we often elevate novelty above all else. And spiritual disciplines are not novel. They're about the kind of formation that happens as we imitate those that have followed God before us. Let me give you just a couple of verses to think about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, Paul writes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13, seven says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. On the ancient path, there are those that have gone before us. And what scripture would call us to is to emulate in a way that slowly over time develops our character, develops a sensibility that leans towards Jesus and not away from Jesus, as we imitate those that have gone before us. Now, I'm gonna probably get in trouble here. I already got in trouble in the nine o'clock, so uh, go ahead and send any complaint emails to hall at frontlinechurch.com. He will feel those, that's his spiritual gift. He'll, he's a good listener. So, I'll probably get in a little trouble here, but I'm gonna go here anyways. Can I just appeal to you as one of your pastors? Stop imbibing trash. You don't need any more social media influencers in your life, you need people that have walked the ancient road. And all the novel roads that are out there, all the proliferation of mommy blogs that just make you feel like you don't stack up, and all the images of people acting like their life is perfect, and all the people peddling to you consumerism, and all the fake authenticity as if a selfie can capture the real essence of who someone is, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's not real. There's no depth there. There's no transformation there. There's no substance there. There's no capacity to suffer there. The only thing that's there is image. And I just love you so much. And I'm so tired of seeing people led astray by roads that aren't the path, the ancient path. And I want to appeal to you to follow Jesus on the narrow roads, to walk in the steps of Abraham To hear God in the wilderness and to say yes. It's to walk in the path of Esther. You don't need a social media influencer. You need to know what it's like to be willing to risk your life to go before a king and appeal for the goodness of your people and their flourishing. You need to walk with Paul, you need to walk with Peter, you need to walk with Phoebe, you need to walk with the people that actually finish the race, not people that are looking for something novel that simply regurgitates back all of the tired messages of our culture. We need ancient paths and we need to imitate. In addition, these rhythms help us practice. They help us practice. God says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. I want you to notice a couple of things here. It's the good way, and we're to walk in it. That's an ongoing habit of practice. This is the formation of habit. Spiritual disciplines, or rhythms of grace, help us learn habits that that start to shape the kind of people that reflect the character of Jesus, that increasingly respond in faith, hope, and love. And this means... That these rhythms of grace that help us walk the ancient paths are not new and they're not sexy and they're not always exciting. Let me read to you from Michael Horton, real briefly. He writes American Christianity is a story of perpetual upheavals in churches and individual lives, starting with an extraordinary conversion experience. Our lives are motivated by a constant expectation for the next big thing. We're growing bored with the ordinary means of God's grace. Attending church week in and week out. Doctrines and disciplines that have shaped faithful Christian witness in the past are often marginalized and substituted with new fashions and methods. The new and improved may dazzle us for a moment, but soon they become so last year. (laughs) Okay, listen. Spiritual disciplines don't always feel exciting. And guess what? They're not supposed to. Next Monday, my wife and I are going to celebrate 24 years of marriage. Yeah, amen. That's like, I always say that. I always say that, and what, it, what occurs to me is like, you should clap for my wife. It's amazing. I am a high-maintenance human being, and she stayed with me for 24 years. Uh, but here's what's wild, man. In, in 24 years of marriage, there have been some really epic dates and trips and moments of just profound romance and delight in each other. Like, those are awesome, and I love that. I love those gifts in marriage. I love getting to have those times where it's like, hey, we'll probably remember this for a really long time. But I think what shaped our marriage for 24 years, the reason that we're still friends by God's grace and the reason we're still in love with each other is the little ordinary things, the time together, the shared commitment to Jesus, the partnership, the shoulder-to-shoulder work, the face-to-face confessing of sin and apologizing. It's not the stuff that anybody wants to read about in a romance novel. And the same thing is true about our spiritual formation. Now, track with me here, because I love extraordinary means of grace, and I'm hungry for them. I love it when God heals people. I love it when God gives prophetic words that break open a person's life for God. I love it when miracles happen. I love it when God speaks in dreams and visions. I am earnestly desiring to get to minister through one revival in our country before I die. I hope it happens. I want the Holy Spirit to put us all on blast where we can't even stand up because the glory of God is so thick in this room. Man, I want that. I want people in the parking lot to feel God's presence and to be brought to their knees in repentance and faith. I long for extraordinary means of grace, and I believe in them, and I value them, and I receive them when God gives them. But listen, the ordinary means of God's grace are also profound gifts of his mercy to us. To sit down with an open Bible, even if you don't have some profound aha moment and simply posture your heart and say, hey, Father, I want to hear from you and see Jesus. To talk to God in the midst of your work week and simply offer prayers of gratitude and petitions for help throughout the day is powerful. To be a mom dealing with the difficulties of babies and toddlers and teenagers and in the midst of all the demands that are placed on you, To simply simply practice mindfulness throughout your day that God is with you and to talk to him and to not feel like you got to read Grudem's systematic theology cover to cover to be a good disciple. Those are powerful things. To gather together on Sunday, week in and week out and receive the Lord's supper together and be shaped and to get to seeing the truth of the gospel and pray the truth of the gospel. These are not fancy things, but they're profound things. Stephen King wrote a book about writing, which is a great book. And here's what he writes about the discipline of writing. He says there is a muse, but he's not gonna come fluttering down into your writing room and scatter creative fairy dust all over your typewriter or computer. Here's the point he's making. If you wait for the muse to strike and you wanna be a writer, you're gonna write about a paragraph a year and be very poor. (laughs) He's saying you have to put your butt in the chair and write. And the same thing is true with our spiritual formation. You have to build rhythms and habits of practice into your life that are shaping you over time to look more like Jesus. Now, here's where the fine print comes in. Because the ancient pasts are not comfortable pasts. They're not comfortable pasts. And in our culture that's obsessed with avoiding discomfort and maximizing comfort, this is where This is where the path of the narrow road loses some hearers. When God took Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, they instantly started complaining. It was too hot. It was too dry. It was too barren. They were hungry. They were thirsty. And they started fantasizing about going back to Egypt. They started re-remembering in revisionist ways all the delights that they had as slaves when they were crying out for freedom for 430 years. At least in Egypt, we had meat in the pots. They started saying to God, Okay, why did that happen? It happened because the paths of discipleship take us to difficult places. To follow Jesus on the narrow road is to be led by your father into places that are profoundly uncomfortable. Because the commitment of your heavenly father, hear me say this, if you miss everything else today, the commitment of your heavenly father to you for your good and for his glory is a commitment to make you look like his son, Jesus, not to make you comfortable. Our father will take us into storms. He'll lead you into the desert. He'll take you out to sea. He'll lead you into the darkness inside of you that you didn't know was there. He'll lead you into the darkness of the world around you. He'll discipline you. He loves you too much to let the path be a path of comfort and air conditioning marked with room service. He loves you too profoundly to let you settle for silly baubles. He will shape you and he will form you And he will lead you into a crucible of formation because he's good. And these ancient paths of discipleship will create in you a tender heart, but they'll also create in you thick skin. Your heavenly father is not a helicopter parent who's pacing anxiously, terrified that you're going to fall off your bike and scrape your knee. He's a good father. And he cares far more about our holiness than he does about making our lives easy. This is something we need to rediscover as American Christians. Years ago, I was uh, doing a church planting trip in South Africa, which is just a fascinating place. And and, uh, the town I was in is Durban. And Durban is right on the Pacific Ocean. And it was really interesting that that stretch of the Pacific is just amazing. It's wild, there's... There's epic surf breaks, there's great kayaking, there's diving. And in this one particular spot, you have across the road from the Pacific, you have this water park that they've constructed. And in the water park, you can swim in these kind of like janky aquariums and look at sick fish. And you can have a curated version of the ocean without ever going to the ocean. And what was really fascinating for me on that trip was like, the beach was totally empty. Nobody's out on the beach and the line around this stupid water park was like two blocks. Everybody wanted a version of the ocean without the skills that you have to acquire to get in the ocean, without the risk of the ocean. And, and sure, you could argue, you could say, hey man, if you get in the ocean, you might get swept out to sea in an undertow or you might get bitten by a shark or stung by a jellyfish. And all that's totally true, you might. But I think for many of us, church has become far more of a curated presentation of what the Pacific might be like than actually inviting us into the wild of encountering God. The place where we're really shaped, the place where we're really formed, the place where the stakes are much higher. And I'm not interested in our church being an amusement park that offers spiritual goods and services. I I want the real thing. Don't you? Like, wouldn't it be better to encounter the living God in difficult, hard places and to have him shape us and form us and change us than to just play at this stuff? The ancient paths of discipleship are not comfortable, but they're worth it. They're worth it. Two more things, and I'll pray for you in close. These rhythms also help us inhabit a better story, and this is essential. All the roads around you, the highways of deformation, are all telling stories. They have a narrative arc to them. They tell stories about what people are for and what time is for and what relationships are for. In his book, After Virtue, Alistair McIntyre writes this, I cannot answer the question what ought I to do unless I first answer the question of which story am I a part Okay, One of the reasons that we're going to spend eight weeks talking about reading God's word and what it means to attend church on a Sunday and be formed on the Lord's day and rhythms of prayer and rhythms of feasting and community and solitude and fasting and these various disciplines is because these are all places where we get invited by God to inhabit a better story. A story that's more true, a story that's more real, a story that's better to engage than all the rival stories. It's the capital S story that every good mythology is trying to take a swipe at, trying to either copy or point to. And the reality is that as we go through a Sunday morning liturgy as we walk through the church calendar throughout the year, as we open God's word, as we learn to pray and to fast and to listen, what we're doing is inhabiting God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. It's a better story. It's a story that answers more questions. It's a story that starts with creation, God creating, man in his image, creation being good. It's a story that moves to the fall where we turned against God and everything broke and entropy entered in and death and decay become human realities and we now all break the things that we love. It's a story that then moves to redemption, that God made promises in the garden and he kept those promises in his son Jesus who died on a cross in our place for our sins, who rose from the dead. And it's a story that's moving towards consummation or restoration or its culmination in the return of Jesus and a new heavens and a new earth and all of your desires being ultimately met in him. And these spiritual disciplines, these rhythms of grace, these ancient paths help us rehearse the story. They help you wait. They help you delay gratification. They help you say no to your flesh because there's a better story that you're inhabiting. And lastly, and most importantly, these rhythms help us know and love the living God. This is why these gifts are given to us. Look at our verse one more time. Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your soul. Can you know what makes the ancient path worth walking on even when it's painful and difficult? Because on that path, God promises rest for your soul. And track with me, rest isn't a place, but rest is a person. The ancient paths are beautiful because it's there where we get to hear and know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the end for which you were created. This is why Jesus came to die and rise again. This is the destination that your heart longs for. This is what you're ultimately craving. This is your true homeland. And this is what all the super highways of the world can't give you. St. Augustine in his memoir wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And the point of these rhythms of grace, these disciplines is not to try to get God to love you. It's to, it's to inhabit his presence and get to know the love that he has for you so that your heart can rest. So I want to take a second and pray for you. And over the next several weeks, I hope you join us. I hope you're here. If you're not in a community group, our community groups would love to welcome you in as we think about these rhythms of grace. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you have questions or thoughts or objections, man, just know that we're open to those conversations and it means a lot that you're here. So I'm going to pray for you and we'll close this time with the Lord's Supper. Gracious Father, thank you so much that you are so good. Thank you that you keep your word. Pray today that you would help us to stand by the roads and look to evaluate where our desires are taking us, where worship is not the worship of the true God. And I pray that you would help us to ask for the ancient past to return to the narrow road of Jesus And I pray that you would help us to be people that imitate and practice these rhythms that form us over time. I ask that you would shape us and deepen us and fill us and let our lives be marked by more faith, hope, and love as we get to know you better. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.